I want to talk with you this morning about authentic discipleship. That's our subject for the day. Authentic discipleship. Uh, by saying authentic, I am implying, of course, that there is inauthentic discipleship. There is discipleship that is not lined up with the vision that God has for us. So I want to think about what it means to really walk the way of Jesus versus fooling ourselves or faking it for others. That's the focus of our conversation today. And it's an important conversation because in our clearest moments, all of us uh, want to have a real life. We don't want to live in unreality or falsehood. I mean, there's not a single person here who, if I brought a microphone up to them today and I said, Can, when they stand by your graveside one day, would you like them to say something like the following? Oh, that Dan was just a brilliant guy at deluding himself about his devotion to God. I mean, that guy could lie to himself like few people we've ever seen. Really amazing. Um, or about you, perhaps. Oh, that Dana looked like such a marvelous person in public. Wow, she looked so Jesus-like. <laughs> what an actress. What an actress. Because, you know, we know what she was like when she wasn't in public. None of us wants anything like that said about us. Uh, we want our lives to be authentic. We want to live in the truth. In short, we want to keep it real. Don't we? Raise your hand if you would like to keep it real. You want your life to have integrity in this sense. Okay. Well, back in the first century, there was an entire class of religious people who struggled to keep it real. Uh, this class of people we have known through the years as the Pharisees. And I want to tell you everything that I know about Pharisees, or at least the most important big ideas about Pharisees as they spring out of the, the Bible this morning. And I think by the end you'll understand why we're drilling into uh, that particular focus. First of all, it must be said that the Pharisees thought of themselves as unusually faithful people. Uh, their self-image was of tremendous faithfulness. You know how some people in this world are, are faithful to things. I, I think of the most uh, serious sports fans I know. I mean, they know every statistic uh, about their favorite teams and, in fact, entire sports often. My son, Cole, is just an NFL addict. He's amazing in his knowledge of, of, uh, of sports. And there are other people like this with um, celebrities. They know all the, the trash and the trivia about the latest celebrity or what's going on in this television program or that particular program. Well, the Pharisees were that enthusiastic, obsessed even, with plumbing the law of God. Okay? They had spent so much time studying the first five books of the Bible, what they called the Torah or the Law of Moses, that they had broken it down into all of its key implications. These guys had identified 246 positive commandments. Commandments where God said, go do this. And they had written these things down, and they were keeping them in mind. They had furthermore studied it so extensively, they'd found 365 prohibitions, situations where God said, don't do this, don't do that. And they'd written those down. And they kept these lists in front of them at all times and were 
fairly convinced that they were mostly living into the implications of all 611 of those laws. And furthermore, they were proud of that. And furthermore, they were a little bit scornful towards all the people out there nowhere near as serious about this stuff as they were. They thought of themselves as unusually faithful people. That's the first characteristic. Secondly, from the vantage point of the average person on the street, they looked more religious than average. You know, if the Pharisees' family lived next door to you, you'd go, wow, those are very religious people. I mean, they're up every single Sabbath day. They're off to the synagogue or the temple. I mean, they're dressed up. These people are really into this stuff. I mean, we go mostly on you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in the big days, but these people are like really serious about religion. Observers could tell you that they were also very careful about these ritual uh, aspects of the faith. They ate very carefully kosher. They cleaned themselves all the time. They washed. They dressed very carefully. They were uh, concerned not to soil themselves uh, because it would offend against the holy God. They were really scrupulous about who they hung out with. They did not go near trashy people, sinners. They just kept their distance because they didn't want to be tainted in contact with them. The Pharisees tended to be a bit smug or outright scornful towards people who did not pay attention to all of the shows of faithfulness like they did. Um, They regarded themselves, in a sense, as the thin blue line in Israel society. They were it. They saw the decline of the society, the cultural, moral, theological decline, and they were the thin blue line standing against it. They thought of themselves as kind of like the moral police force, and most other people saw them that way too. These people were kind of like moral cops. And this is why, thirdly, the Pharisees had significant problems with Jesus. I think that's the third big characteristic we know about them. They were not fans of Jesus. Why weren't they fans? Well, he hung out with unfaithful people. He hung out with tainted, rabble-rousing kinds of people. He seemed to interpret the law loosely. I mean, he picked corn on the Sabbath and fed people and healed people and, and did a lot of different kinds of things which, frankly, didn't fit with the 611 laws or didn't seem to in, in their eyes. And, and he was, furthermore, and though this was never said out loud, I think this was a big motivation, it really bugged them that he was not impressed with them. You know? I mean, it felt like he should have been more impressed with all of the ways in which they were living so very, very faithfully. And the reality is, he wasn't. He wasn't positively impressed. He was impressed, I guess, but not positively about the Pharisees. In fact, he was, and this is the fourth thing we know about the Pharisees, Jesus was harshly critical of them. I mean, really harshly critical. He said to them, and I quote Matthew, or John chapter 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. And you know what the devil's desire is, right? To destroy people, to destroy that which God has made. You want to carry out your father's desire, for there is no truth in him. There's no truth in the, in the devil. He is a liar and a father of lies, Jesus says, to the Pharisees. You snakes, 
comparing them to the serpent in the garden. You snake, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus said. Now, this seems a little bit out of character with Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, he is in almost every other context so amazingly patient and kind with people. I mean, he allows people uh, to come along the journey. He may challenge them, but he doesn't, he doesn't beat up on people normally. I mean, and Jesus yet, it, it, Jesus gets so intensely worked up at the fair. It's almost like one of these guys who's, who's jumped down. He's got the guy on the ground. He just keeps pounding him and pounding him, and there's something in you that says, hey, back off, enough, enough. What was it about the Pharisees that so bugged Jesus, so incensed Jesus? And then the short answer is because they were false disciples, influential false disciples. They might be deceiving themselves, fooling other people, but God could see that the life that they were practicing the life they were trying to drag other people into or shame other people because they weren't practicing it wasn't really anything like the life that God wanted for people. The Pharisees were giving religion, God's religion, a bad name. In fact, the way they were practicing it was chasing people away from God. It was making it harder and harder for people to see the character of the true God and the way of his kingdom. And this is why Jesus got so worked up. It's why he hit them so hard. He was desperately trying to get their attention and shake them out of this false way of looking at God in life and other people. So what I want to think with you about right now is, and and believe me, I'm going to circle this back to where we live. So hang with me on this, okay? I'm just setting the overall context first. How is it that the Pharisees were false in their form of discipleship. Well, if you study the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, you go through all the things he says to the Pharisees or about the Pharisees, there are five consistent themes that come out. This is sort of, these are the big and most important ideas. And Jesus uses a number of images to unpack the first idea. And the first idea is this. The Pharisees were more concerned with looking bright on the outside than they were with dealing with the darkness on their inside. Okay, their focus was on the outside instead of on the inside of the life. And Jesus kind of colors that idea in with these various images. He says, for example, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Uh, they're ferocious. You know, have you ever met people like that? You know, all outside they're soft and bright and cuddly and furry and warm and, you know, they're just wonderful. But you get them in certain situations, maybe behind closed doors, maybe with you, and they suddenly, the fangs come out. I didn't know how sheep had fangs like that. You think to yourself, wow. And they're just rapacious in their ability to rip somebody apart, destroy a reputation, hurt somebody deeply. The Pharisees were wonderful about their outside and not uh, dealing with their wolf-like character on the inside. Then there are those, said Jesus, who clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Maybe you know somebody who's very, very careful to keep the 
exterior of their life porcelain polished. Right? I mean, they are very focused on looking clean. But they let the inside of the cup of their life get filled with all kinds of sludge. I mean, greed and lust and self-indulgent thoughts of all kinds are just crudding up the inside of their life. They've got all kinds of things going on (laughs) when they're not, that nobody would ever guess from the porcelain polish of the outside of their lives. Jesus said they're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of of dead men's bones and everything unclean. They just keep whitewashing their image on the outside. Maybe you've encountered this. People who were always coming up with some cover-up for the last lie, with some explanation for the failure, with some excuse or, or perfuming of the rotting stuff in their character. And, 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 and you can't quite tell what's going on. You're smelling something bad in your contact with them, but they always seem to have a way of whitewashing the Pharisees were like this. They, they were much more concerned with looking bright than with dealing with the darkness on the inside. That's the first characteristic. Here's the second sign of false discipleship. They talk of God, but do not do the will of God. They talk of God, but it doesn't go into action. In speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Jesus quoting Isaiah. In other words, they have all the right theological language. They sing all the right songs, but their hearts, their wills, are not practically aligned to God. There's not a translation between what they do when they're in the temple and the way they actually live, them, live their lives when they're beyond that place. Um, they may talk about sacrifice, loving enemies, helping the lost people come home. They may sing about it. They may know all the Bible verses about it, but they're not doing it. They're not aligning with the will of God, practically speaking. Thirdly, the Pharisees are very busy doing for God, but they don't have a relationship with God. They may actually be out there working themselves to exhaustion. I mean, just trying to, you know, serve God in the workplace and serve God in the home and the neighborhood and the religious buildings. They're just all about, I'm out there doing this for God. But God is back there going, What? I mean, we never even talk, you and I. We don't even talk. And and Jesus says that the deeper truth about the Pharisees is that a whole lot of what they're doing isn't about God. It's about them. It's about trying to feel important. It's trying to look religious. It's impressing others it's solving guilt it's scoring moral merit badge points i mean it's it's about them everything they do said jesus in matthew 23 everything they do is done for men to see that's the audience not god 
they actually spend very little time getting to know God, trying to discern his deep desires, resting in his presence. They, the proof of this is they don't even recognize God when he's standing there in flip-flops and a carpenter's toga in front of them. They don't recognize his character because they don't know him. And Jesus says, for this reason, many will say to me on that day, the final day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, preach in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Weren't we out there fighting the enemy for you? Did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. The fourth sign that the Pharisees' form of discipleship was not what God wanted was that they were more inclined to lay burdens on other people than to lift them from other people. Um, The Pharisees were actually widely known for this. If you saw a Pharisee coming down the sidewalk towards you, you would find a reason to go into this shop. Okay, you would just figure out a reason. You would stop to do your sandals until they walked by. Why? Because these folks were notorious for pointing out where you were not doing it right, for for kind of laying some new expectation, heavy. You, some of you are feeling like I'm doing that to you right now. My apologies. I'm just Look, I'm just reading what's in here, okay? Uh, um, but Jesus said this about them. They tie up heavy loads. They put them on men's shoulders. And in other words, they work hard to package a lot of heavy loads, and they tie them up, and then they hoist them up onto other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This this is just the opposite, of course, of what God truly calls for. And the Pharisees should have known better. The God of Israel says in Exodus, my presence will go with you and I will give you what? Burdens? No. Rest. Rest. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our, our God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens, says the psalmist. No wonder common people responded so well to Jesus instead of to the Pharisees. Jesus was reintroducing them to the God who says, come unto me, all you who are burned out and tired from carrying all these burdens. I want to give you rest. I want to help lift the burden for you. I want to get under the yoke with you. I want you to walk with me. Jesus helped people meet that God, the true God. There was a fifth and final theme to Christ's indictment of the Pharisees' form of discipleship. And I'm just put this one right out there. They loved money more than God and people. Luke's gospel tells us that the Pharisees loved money, quote, unquote. Jesus said that they were full of greed and self-indulgence for all of their expressions of devotion to God and concern for his, his people. Their personal comforts mattered more to them than advancing the interests that God had. Now, I know this is heavy stuff. And the reason why I know it's heavy is because, man, it hit me as heavy this week. I wrote down these things. I mean, I pulled them together for the first time this week, and I made it into a big list. That's the list. And I started going down the list, and it was then that the, that the shudder went through me. Because I will tell you, confess something to you. For all of my Christian life, I have 
always thought of the Pharisees as those other guys. I have always considered myself an authentic disciple. And then there are those false disciples, the Pharisees, over there. And I looked at that list, and it was like looking into a mirror. James says that the Bible is like that. The Word of God is like a mirror in which we see ourselves. And I was just shaken to the core, and I realized how much of a Pharisee I still am. Can any of you relate to that? I was very convicted by the teaching of Jesus this week. I think maybe, I think maybe all of us are recovering Pharisees. I think almost anybody that kind of hangs out in a church is probably a recovering Pharisee. At least I hope we're in recovery, <laughs> right? I, I think I also finally get when Jesus meant when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the way of, of heaven, the way of the kingdom, is so different. I mean, it's like the anti-Pharisee way of living, if you think about it, right? The way of the kingdom is so different. And we have to keep encouraging and challenging each other not to slip into the Pharisee way. Uh, because it's, just the, it's the common religious way. The kingdom of God, for example, this is the second list, and this is the same five ideas, but just look at it how, how the kingdom reverses the polarity on these things. The kingdom of God is about becoming far more focused on dealing with the inside than with worrying about the outside. It's much more about trying to address the, the issues in my character than it is about trying to impress you with what a fantastic character I have. Right? The kingdom of God is like that. It's about truly walking our talk. Uh, actually doing the will of God regularly, even when it's hard to do. It's about investing daily in building a deep relationship with God. Before we ever think about going out there to do things for Him, we build a relationship with Him so that all of our actions flow meaningfully out of the relationship with Him. Uh, His being is the wellspring of our doing. The kingdom of heaven is about being more inclined to lift other people's burdens than to lay them on people. It means that we go into our workplace, into our homes, into, into our church, and we're thinking, we're looking, what are the burdens here? What are, what, what's, what's weighing people down? How do I help get a shoulder underneath that and lift them, lift them up? The kingdom is about loving God and people more than our material comforts and using our resources accordingly. These are the signs of authentic discipleship. Now, let me ask you to, to probe yourself for a moment on this, and I'm almost done. Which of those things on the list do you sense Christ calling you to lean into more fully? Okay? Do not think you have to have all of them perfect when you leave this place today. Okay? It is a journey. He does not lay heavy, destructive burdens on us. He just, he just asks us to come with him. Where on that list is he asking you to come with him? Is Jesus asking you to walk with him? Nobody becomes a truly authentic disciple of Jesus overnight. It is a journey that involves aspiration, 
inspiration and perspiration. By aspiration, I mean you've got to want it. You've got to see the beauty and the goodness and the strength of Jesus' life and the life of the kingdom and think, I want that for myself. It's a non-starter. If you don't want it, if you haven't caught that, that aspiration hasn't filled you, then you probably aren't going with Jesus. So, so maybe one thing out of today, one do step is, I need to, I'm going to start praying, God, give me a bigger vision of you, the beauty and goodness and strength of your life and that of your kingdom. We also need inspiration. We need, because nobody changes themselves at the spiritual level. The Nike thing doesn't work at the level of character and spirit. You can't just do it. You need power from beyond yourself to change your character. God offers that, but that's where soul training practices come in. That's where spiritual disciplines like prayer and studying the Bible and silence and solitude and fasting and things like this have been the the wellsprings through which God has poured his life-shaping power into people through the saints of history. And so it's, it's not enough for me, certainly, to be here just kind of on the weekends. I've got to have these soul training practices in my life. What, what practice can keep you connected? What one new practice can you try to keep you connected to him in a deeper way? Finally, you and I also need perspiration. Listen Listen for Christ's words in some key area of your life where he says, go do this and do it and do that. Even if it doesn't feel natural or easy. Even if it's hard, even if it takes holy sweat. Build your life on the rock. There once was a scoundrel who fell in love with a very beautiful woman and with his story all close. Oh, she was beautiful. I mean, she was rapturously beautiful. And and knowing that she would never love somebody like him, and he wanted to be with her. He wanted to wed her and walk with her forever. That's how beautiful she was. But he knew she'd never, she'd never consent to be with somebody with his kind of character and record. And so he was struck by some inspiration. He had this aspiration to be close to her, and he took on this inspiration, and he decided to don the mask of a hero. And he would put the mask on. It was an uncomfortable mask because it didn't fit him at all. He wasn't anything like it. The contours of his life were nothing like this. But day after day, he sweated. He perspired underneath that mask, obediently doing the work of an honorable hero, hoping against hope to win her heart. And months later, just months went by, those who knew the man's true nature had had enough of the charade. They burst into the room where the, where the imposter was with his... Uh, beloved, and they grabbed him and they threw him to the ground and they ripped off the mask to to show who he really was and a gasp rose up throughout the room. Because as they looked down, no longer was there the distorted visage of the scoundrel. But now the shining face of a saint. Do you know 
that of all the terms Jesus applied to the Pharisees, the most frequent was, you hypocrites. Do you know that the Greek word for hypocrite, hypocrites, means mask wearer? We are all mask wearers. The key question is, however, what's our aspiration? As St. Augustine once said, we imitate whom we adore. What's our aspiration? Is it to keep wearing a mask of false piety? Because we adore ourselves as we are? Or is it an aspiration to wear the face of Christ? Where will we get our inspiration for that life change? And are we willing to exercise some new perspiration? Because here is the very good news that I want to leave you with. God still specializes in transforming scoundrels into saints. Thanks be to God. Amen.